Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, everybody. My name is Alex. This is Lunchbox Radio. Now, before we get into it, I wanted to encourage you to go listen to the previous episode, which is all about Shangri-La Frontier, because... I, that show surprised me in a way that I am not often surprised. Usually with bombastic shonen-style action shows like that, it's you, you've, seen the, you've seen the book cover, you know what the book is. And that's not necessarily wrong with that show. It's just the attention to detail of it is, is impressive. If you've, ever li- if you've ever loved a video game and you've been resisting watching that show, maybe listen to my podcast episode on it from last week, and you'll see why. Even though I resisted watching that show for a while after the first couple episodes, when I came back to it, I was pleasantly surprised. So definitely go check that out. And on that note, I want to dive right into what we're talking about this week, which is another recent show, since I'm a little brain dead, because work is very complicated right now. Um, But that show is... A little show from this season called Freyrin, Beyond Journey's End. Anime considered. Lunchbox Radio. Now, before we dive into the show proper, I want—I really want to have I do the usual breakdown of the of a plot summarization of the show because I think it—I think it'll be really valuable for what I want to talk about here. So I take it away. Freerin, Beyond Journey's End, revolves around the character Freerin, an elf mage who was part of a heroic party that defeated the Demon King after a ten-year quest. Due to her elven heritage, Freerin can live for over a thousand years, a stark contrast to the brief lifespan of humans. After the defeat of the Demon King, Freerin promises her human companions that she will return to see them and then sets off on a solitary journey. Fifty years later, Freerin revisits her former companions, only to find them significantly aged while she remains unchanged. This stark difference in aging and lifespan becomes a poignant aspect of the story. She witnesses the death of Himmel, one of her former companions, which deeply affects her. Freerin realizes her regret for not having spent more time understanding and knowing people during her long life. 
With this newfound realization and regret in her heart, Freerin embarks on a journey to connect with people and understand humanity more deeply. This journey is marked by various encounters and events, offering insights into life, mortality, and relationships. Now that we've got that out of the way, I want to talk about I want to talk about a bunch of things in the show because it every so often actually really once every couple seasons at this point and there will be people who tell you once every season and it that may be I'm just an old so it doesn't happen for me as often but every couple seasons is a show that breaks out of its that breaks that breaks out and is like is both incredible in its quality and incredible in its subject matter. Sometimes that breaks bad on everybody and you get um, Tanya the Evil, which is a show that, as much as it says it doesn't, it really does kind of glorify Nazi violence. <laughs> which, in the year of our Satan 2016, when that show was first coming out, I was... I was fucking, I was pissed. I was like, are you goddamn kidding me? Really? The Nazi show is the thing everybody loves? And if you listen to the show for a long time, you know I have a friend named, I have a friend named Alan from the internet. We've met exactly once in real life. Never again. We met, and even worse, we met in the coat check line of a silent rave. On our way out the door. And we like quickly exchange info. And we've been like. We've been internet friends. Ever since. But. Alan like me. Is a person of color. He is certainly not white. He lives in Florida now. But um, so Florida man. Loves that show. I'm like dude. Tanya would come for us. Like, it's about Nazis. This is very uncomfortable. But my point is, is that every once in a while, uh, but the thing about that show is that it had... It had quality and uniqueness in its presentation and, you know, final product. But as a show, it was kind of not great. And as, like, a moral set, it was horrifying. Um, but that also swings in that also swings in the positive direction tons of times. More often than not, it swings in the positive direction, and more often than not, because of because of both the nicheness and now amount of time that anime has been around. Anime can come at things in ways that wouldn't be acceptable in other in other mediums. The other mediums sometimes absolutely do, could absolutely do, but because they are they have a wider um, they have a wider audience base, people are less willing to approve in the first place. Like the the powers that be would be less willing to approve it. Because uh, who's that going to appeal to? 
and I have a, I have a, I've always had a theory about this, and that is the more, the more passive a medium is, the, a medium of entertainment is, the less you can get away with. And in practice, that that what that looks like is if you're reading something, if you're reading a thing, you have to do a lot of work to get the entertainment value out of it. You have to read the manga, you have to read the light novel, you have to read the book, that kind of stuff. So you are actively engaging with the thing that is act that is giving you entertainment. So what that means is, is it, it A, holds your attention better, and it B, makes you more willing to trust it where it's going. Because you are putting effort into advancing it forward. But that's also true of the audience side of this. It, so, of really great example of this is if you look at any book that's been turned into a movie. So a, per, a perfect example of this is a book called, is a, is a film, is a um, Martin Scorsese film actually called Wolf of Wall Street. Wolf of Wall Street was a book. Um, and actually it was a real story first and then it was a book and then it was a movie. When it was a real story, and this is true of, um, of things like um, that like the WeWork doc, like the WeWork thing that was on Hulu. I think it was on Hulu. Um, when it was when it was like being reported out, the, a certain small set of financial people were paying attention to it and knew about it. Once it became a book, it got on sellers lists and had a bigger audience. Once it became a Martin a Martin Scorsese movie, forget about it. Like, it just ton like, orders of magnitude pe people knew who had seen that now, had consumed that story. But the same is true of the, like, light novels to live-action movie kind of pipeline or even manga to live action movie kind of pipeline that can exist. So a perfect example of this is the Ghost in the Shell property. The Ghost in the Shell manga, not that many, way less people have read the Ghost in the Shell manga than have seen the live action Ghost in the Shell movie. That's insane. Now it's a bit odd because that, that film as a thing is like a landmark piece of, is like a foundational piece of cyberpunk media, but that's, that's as applied to the original, like, 1989 movie, not necessarily the comic book it comes, the, the manga it comes from. So what I'm, the reason why I'm going through all this is because the subject matter that Freyren as a manga and now as an anime dealt deals with is the kind of thing that it wouldn't get to do if it was in any other realm of entertainment. It would feel 
because the audience would be so much bigger, you'd have to account for a much, I'm not going to say lower, but more diverse media literacy environment <laughs> than you have to deal with with the kind of self-selecting group that is anime fans who would be looking for this show, who would be looking for this show and would would have the kind of built up necessary knowledge that this that Freyren asks you to have because if you stop and think about it Freyren is asking you to have seen a fan a, an old school fantasy anime where everybody has where the hero and a party have to kill a demon have to go defeat the demon king that's what's asking of you that's baseline but then it's also asking you to understand that that that, that universe keeps going it's asking you to appreciate that and that and the other reason why i think that this show exists uniquely in this space where it couldn't otherwise is because you don't get a, you don't there are piles of isekai shows there are piles of is, of isekai shows and isekai shows are really like back doors into the fantasy genre they're ways to experiment with high fantasy that you couldn't that you couldn't do without introducing some sort of magical MacGuffin, which you are, you're bringing people over to another side. A great example of the, a great kind of example of this is Restaurant to Another World. Because Restaurant to Another World, they're reversing the flow. Like people are coming from the fantasy world into not the present day, but like not quite the present day, but just like a small piece of it to just like enjoy a nice piece of cake. And what that's doing is it's letting them explore all of these moments in high fantasy kind of storylines in a way that are just little slices of stories throughout that entire show. That's what makes that show so kind of like beautiful. It's like you you tune in you tune in one episode and you see like a story about a princess. You tune in another episode and you see a story about like you know. A desert clan like it, these these isekai are ways to experiment with fantasy shows even more than their ways to experiment with power fantasies but what that is necessarily doing is exploring the possibility in the high fantasy space what this show is doing, what Freyren does, is it's finally taking it further. It's saying, okay, great. Isekais, great. Isekais have got it covered with what it looks like for this specific iteration of how to defeat the Demon King. Freyren isn't interested in that at all. It's not interested in what in beating the Demon King. And the, the show makes it very clear, like, we don't really fucking care about this. Like, we, like this is not what this show is. What Freyren is concerned about is it's concerned about what happened after. 
and the passage of time after, you know, the hero's party does the thing, wins the day, comes back, has the ticker tape parade. What does it look like when those people keep on living? Because oftentimes, because oftentimes that's the end of the story. That's the end of the story. That's the story you're told and it ends there and la-di-da. What Freyron wants to do is it wants to have a conversation about what happens next. In some cases, it wants to have the conversation about what happens to the, like, other, to the members of the opposing faction, the people who serve the Demon King, what happens to them. There's a really interesting, there's, and what, and how they become misguided and how they wander and what happens to those, like, what happens to the big scary, what happens to the big scary monster that is on the chain for the boss when he runs, when that monster gets cut loose and runs off. And then there's the other thing. And the other thing is, is that a great trope of fantasy is the, like, it's the different, is the different lifespans of different, of different, like, magical species. Like, in this show, there, in this show, the main character, Freyren, is an elf. Um, it, there's also a character who's a dwarf. And for those two characters, the passage of time is very different. For the, but, does, and there's a key point that they call out for the dwarf, for, um, for, for Ivan, the dwarf. The, like, dwarf, um, axe-wielding guy. By the way, spoiler alert for, spoiler alert for the entirety of Freyron as far as, it's dubbed because I'm watching it dubbed because I want to take my time and I want to truly enjoy it. But um, even he, when he talks about time, he you get the sense that he understands that his perception of time is not other, not anyone else in his life in his life's perception of time. He understands that, like, yes, 400 years is not is not necessarily a long time for him. But it's a long time for everyone around him. So he kind of adapts to it. And he understands. He He's making a concerted effort to adapt to it. Freyren is going to live for thousands of years. She is like, she is functionally immortal to everyone who meets her. With the exception of one character who... At my time of what in like the dub has just been introduced to another, with the exception of actually two characters who are both elves, and those two characters also know like, oh, like I should keep track of her because <laughs> she'll be around in six hundred years, and. And I'm going to speak here from a little bit of a perspective of somebody who who has experienced this my entire life. When you are very different, and I'm not talking like 
you're kind of quirky. I'm talking about when you are like, like I am, physically disabled and biracial and all the other forms of other that you can pile on top of me. There is a sense that you are outside of the like normal flow of life. And life treats you like that. I want to be clear. Like when people, people encounter me and I've had friends who are like, why does everybody remember you? I'm like, have you ever met somebody who even looks like me? And, and people pause and they realize like, oh, no, I haven't. Like, I've never, you're a thing you don't, the way I think about it is I'm a thing people don't encounter often. People don't encounter a 30-something biracial brain cancer survivor every damn day. It's not a thing you run into. And I'm, I'm not trying to be, you know, sad or depressing or, you know, hold myself up on a pedestal. It's just true. And it, it, it ha when it happens enough times, you have to understand it's just true. And when that happens to you enough times as it, does, as, it does, as it has to me and, has, and as it does to Freyren, because Freyren is perceived, it's because of her ears, everyone's like, oh, you're an elf. You're going to live for fucking ever. You're on a, you're on a different... You're in a dip. You're in a different movie. <laughs> like to me, a year is a long time. To you, a year is like an afternoon. <laughs> there's no, there's no comparing the two. And the and the and the, her and her like understudy Fern. Makes a point of being like, no, we're not stopping in this town for six months. Fuck you, that's half a year. And the the other characters in the show make a point of being like, no, your sense of time is fucked. We are not hanging out here for a year. Go away. And... But my point is, is that she has this kind of solitary existence up until she's become part of the hero's party. And the hero's party consists of her, Aizen, Hi um, Heritor, who's like a, um, who's, who's the like party's priest and who's the party's priest and healer. And then Himmel, who is the like, who is, the guy who is the head of the party, he's the warrior with the big sword, the whole thing. And then it's like 70 years after they beat the Demon King. 70 years into just this everlasting peace because the Demon King is no longer alive. He's been destroyed. Or something. Himmel dies. Himmel passes away. And then eventually Hy Heritor passes away. And Freyren is confused because she misses them. And even though in her head, the ten years they spent going, traveling to defeat the demon, the demon lord, 
with nothing. It was a fraction of a tenth of her lifespan, as she puts it. But there are little moments, that they, and they make sure to show them in flashbacks, where you see that Himmel and, and Herodor and even Aizen all understand, like, this may not be a significant amount of time to you, but I'm still going to try and give you something to remember me by. Because you might want it later. And so much of so much of Freyren's like stuff that she just has is stuff that like Himmel gave to her. And you re- you realize that there's a lot of complicated feelings and that what Freyren's kind of doing is navigating grief and navigating this sadness that the people that the 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 people she came to deeply care for the, the people she came to love like family are gone and she didn't she, and they make it pretty clear by um by the point I'm at at the show that she lost her family to demons who were assholes who were who who destroyed her village and she was brought up by this by this mystical by this by this all powerful mage from you know like decades ago from decades ago named named Flama who was who was a human and she's clearly had a really stunted connection with the people around her in the moment and a stunted connection with time. Because time is... Once again, she's functionally immortal. It, time does not matter to her, really. And... In this show... You see her... Take a liking to both... To both Stark and Fern. Um, and... Kind of attach herself to them. As much as they attach themselves to her and it's just it's it's really there's like a bittersweet melancholy ness because I don't want to call it a sadness to this to the story because She's retracing the steps they took, to, essentially, to go defeat the Demon King. Because where they're going is is what the show refers to as heaven. I forget the official name. But where you can see souls of the dead. And you can have a conversation with people who have passed on. And... This is all kind of a... This is all a grieving process for her. But even more than that, and they get into this really clearly in the um, magic exam arc they're currently in. She'd been around the fucking block for a long fucking time. Now, there are still, like, core pieces that she's missing because, once again... When you exist on the outside of people, 
is the way I'll put it. If you think about most people about being in a big old box, and you think about people are well and truly othered, being on just on the other side of that box, then when you look at people, when you look at people like, say, me for example, I have some real gaps in like stuff I haven't experienced because I just never felt close to people in that way. You know, I in Freyren's case, it's pretty clear she's not a romantic, she's not like a budding romantic necessarily. <laughs> she does, she's like, she's clearly processing some feelings of love and affection for not just Himmel, but also like she deeply cares for Freyren, she deep, deep, Freyren deeply cares for Fern and Stark, and she deeply cares for the two people who are essentially Fern and Stark's masters, Aizen for Stark and Heritor for Fern. Only the way, like, her affect doesn't necessarily change, but what she does changes, and what she, and like, the things that she chooses to remember, and at the times at which she chooses to remember them, are clear indications that, like, she does, she cared deeply for Stark. She cared deeply enough for Stark to remember that his, that his, like, warrior village that he came from tradition was on their birthday, they cook a big hamburger steak and eat it together. And she cares enough about Fern that when Fern's sick, she just sits by Fern's side and holds her hand because it's, like, the thing that makes Fern feel better. She has this, and people have described her as anime grandma thing, and that makes total sense, but it's... It's more... It's less grandma-y and more motherly kind of thing. And I know that sounds like a weird distinction, but it's really true. She... But she also has this distinct air of knowledge and of, like... The, the And they do a really good job of setting up the magic system and, like, of the magic system of this world. And then they just kind of continually, especially in the magic exam arc, remind you that, like, all the mages that exist currently who are not Freyren are powerful, are strong, are incredible. They will never be Freyren. They can try. It will just never happen. And there's a great scene in the most recent episode that I that I watched this morning, where they well, like so, so like they have they have this cutaway and they and it's these two proctors who are talking, and they're like and they're like, so you're gonna have to tell me who that and that. And as they're talking, they're talking about this big barrier they erected so so that, like, the test could take place in this one specific wood woodland area. And as they're talking about the barrier being, like, unbreakable and you could, nev you could never interfere with it, it just shatters. 
And Freyren is the one who did it. <laughs> and she did it like it was nothing. And he's like, and one of the Proctors is like, what the fuck just happened? And the other Proctor is like, oh yeah. So, you know that elf girl? He's like, yeah, I know the elf girl. She stood out like a sore thumb. He's, she's like, yeah. Because she had, and it's like, it, she had, she had a royal magic crest or whatever they call the fragrance, like, magical driver's license charm that she basically keeps because it's the only it's like the only form of ID she has <laughs> and the the uh, guy because of the female test test proctor and the male test proctor the guy is like oh so she's the last great mage <laughs> Jesus Christ and you get the sense that's like we should just pass her now. <laughs> like she she has outstripped the actual requirements of this test by far. <laughs> and that that part of the show never never is never forgotten. The great thing about this show and the great thing about most great shows is that they keep track of all the things they're piling on top of themselves. And they know when to use them, know when to not. And they're always kind of slightly there in the background. Freyren's absolute superiority isn't just demonstrated through her, it's demonstrated through her apprentice, Fern. Fern only ever uses one attack, a ba what is considered to be a basic attack spell. And when people, like, call her on this, she's like, she's like, my master said that this, that this spell is enough to overwhelm people, any made anyone from this era. And you, and in that moment, just because of the way that it was phrased to Fern, and Fern phrases it to any opponents, you understand that it's... It's beyond whoever... Like, it's it's not beyond Fern, because Fern learned from Freyren, but it's beyond whoever Fern is facing. And everybody, everybody who faces off against Fern in a magic fight in the show, which has been, like, I think she's faced three or four people at this point, it's like, oh, 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 oh. <laughs> it's not like I can do all the flashy shit I want. She's just going to overload me. There's no way I can, there's no way I can possibly like stand against this. And in, uh, in the like, in a previous arc, you see... In, in two different previous arcs, you see Freyren's... Actually, I think maybe even in the same one. You see Freyren's kind of mana output and the way she manages it. And you see her actual mana pool. And her actual mana pool is like the size of a Walmart parking lot. <laughs> it's insane. It's... There is no way you could ever match it. There is no way you would ever outlast it. It's... It's not possible. 
And you take a character like that. You take you take a character who is carefree because time doesn't matter and nothing will ever be a problem. And nothing will ever truly threaten her. <laughs> her. And you put her in this world and you give her like one thing to do. And that one thing is to process the grief of losing loved ones. And it it creates a show that is incredible. That is worth any time that you give it. And is so beautiful and understanding of that process of grief and that process of melancholy and all, but also the need and deserved want for some kind of closure because the, at least the show so far had not said hey you, you shouldn't want to talk to somebody who's passed. I have a few people who passed in my life who I would love to talk to again. Who I would, if someone said tomorrow, go to this place in like Dusseldorf, Germany, and you can talk to the souls of the dead, I'd look at a ticket. I'd probably go. And a lot of people would. The why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. And the show frames it as part of the reason that Freyren is doing this is because she wants to find out what she's feeling because she doesn't have context for it because, once again, to her, she may have cared about these people, but she only knew them for a fraction of her life. You know, and as, you, and as the story unfolds, you see that all the people she knew who were close to her in some way, left a lasting impression on her. Um, Flama clearly left a lasting impression on her. You know, even the only, even one of the two other elves she met, actually both of the elves she met have left a lasting impression on her. The, like, the monk elf is very clearly, like, 
she's like, oh, I'm going to keep track of you in my head because, like, we'll be left. And then the other, um, the other elf is this, like, high, it's this, like, high magic, like, the head of the magic world. And she's basically at the top of it because she just existed for long enough to have read all the grimoires. And know all the spells. And in her and in her way is and 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 is notably like very put off by Freyrin because Freyrin is like her. I forget the um the um woman's name. I forget the um the head of the magic world's name. She's like she she, but she's also an elf, and she's and she's and she's Flame's and she's Flame's teacher. And when they initially meet, the head of the magic world is impressed by Freyren and is like, "You seem impressive." And then Freyren says, "Like I don't have any." I don't have any real, like, desire for power. I just kind of like magic. And I've got the time, so... Which is also... Which is also, um... Flame's, like, attitude towards magic. And my gut feeling is that not that the, like, the, like, big scary, like, blonde elf lady is... Somehow, um... Does actually like Freyrin, but the thing about Freyrin, but it, but Freyrin is probably much like her, interested in magic for magic's sake, not interested in magic because she wants power or control over something, and that means that like the framework that this elf woman has set up doesn't really have a place for Freyrin, so she's like I've, so she's instantly declares that Freyrin has doesn't have the potential she thought she did and kind of moves on because because it doesn't fit into her the game she's set up for the mages of quote unquote the current era. If she fits into the framework of the greater world of magic. And that that episode indeed is called the world of magic, and that's really what I think it's getting across. It's getting across the fact that, like, and this is true of like reality too. When immediately after you fought some sort of big war, that environment doesn't evaporate. Like the the world of peace doesn't come find you. And you see this all across the world, especially in America. America is so built up militarily. It would take us, like, decades at least, centuries maybe, to come down from that ledge. Because we never have. So there's always a little bit of, like, military styling everywhere. And you see that around in different places around the world, too. The sense you get from the world of Freyren, from the world that Freyren is and her party is going through, 
is that it's a world that still remembers what fucked it up. It's a world that still understands that the Demon King needed to be defeated. And so it spent decades building up this system that is now a vestige of itself and creates a, and it created a scenario where mages are not where the kind of mage that Freyrin is the kind of mage that Flame was and the kind of mage that the head of the magic world is are truly the last great mages because those kinds of mages don't exist. People who do the craft for the craft don't exist. People do the craft for utility, for for offensive, for offense, for a definable reason. There, yes, there is love to learning the craft, but there's not love to, but there's not a space for pure unleaded creativity for the sake of it. And when you contextualize it all like that, you start to look at all of these at all of these surrounding at all of these surrounding mage characters, you start to see kind of like sadness in them. The like guy who's the head of the like magic core frontal assault team against the demon against the demon world is like this sad character who has who has tuned his magic so specifically as to kill what's in front of him every time. The the Freyrin's two teammates are so like specifically bred to do certain things with their magic that they don't necessarily know how to do much else. And so often, and so many of the characters in this show only use one kind of magic. But the show makes it very clear. You don't, like, that. you aren't limited to one kind of magic. The world, like, the world is suggesting that you limit yourself to one kind of magic. And then you see what, <laughs> you see how Freyrin taught Fern to fight. And you realize, like, to Freyrin, fighting is not important. Like, big flashy fights aren't what she's after. What she's after is the curiosity of magic. And you see that in those, like, grimoires she collects. Like, she, she collects the grimoire to, like, grow flowers. She collects the grimoire to, like, see through people's clothes. She collects the grimoire to, like, polish bronze spoons. Like... There's a function of artistry, craftsmanship, and creativity that is only achievable through pure curiosity and weirdness. Through, I'm making this for the experience of attempting it, not because I want a final product. And... It, true to reality, this show proposes a world where there's not much room for that. Like, if you can't... 
if you can't fit it into something that's useful, then it's kind of not important <laughs> to a lot of people. And and so you have all these like one-offs, you have all these one-off spells and grimoires that are like were made for one very specific purpose and then tossed aside and, and never relearned because they were never needed again. Only... It is what I like about the representation of Freyren as a character. When you culminate those things and when you have that kind of rabid curiosity, even if it's presented in like a passive, clearly depressed character... <laughs> Like, Freyren is clearly has a kind of, like, malaise to her. Just like, I'm sad and I don't know why. <laughs> so I'm going to walk for a really long time and figure it out. She, even though she doesn't say this, loves magic. She loves the, like, just the pursuit of it for no other reason than the pursuit of it. And that means she's fundamentally different and prepared and, and and more wholly formed as a as a um as a magician magician um sorcerer than most other people who practice magic in this world and what you what you see when she sees fern is when she meets Fern and when Hy when Herder kind of cons her into taking Fern on as an apprentice, is Herder recognizes in Fern what he recognizes in Freyren. He recognizes the kind of unique blend of a genuine curiosity about magic. And and Herder kind of all but says, like, I don't want this to get like, I don't want this to be beaten out of her. I don't want the world to take away her, like, curiosity about, like, oh, a spell to make wildflowers bloom. Or, or all any of these numbers of things that are really beautiful and really... That are really beautiful, but beautiful because they aren't necessarily useful. And... What... You kind of... What you start to understand by the, by the, like, by, at, by the, by the episode World of, the World of Magic, by basically the end of the first exam for the, um, exam arc for the first class mage exam arc, is those weird little spells are the building blocks that, like, the truly great mages of the world built their masterworks on. It wasn't like, I mastered ice magic, so I became, like, the biggest, baddest person on the block. It was like, no, I planted a tree a hundred years ago, five hundred years ago, and fixed a charm to it, and it's created this barrier that is everlasting and 
beyond anything anybody can ever accomplish <laughs> or destroy. And it, but if you wanted to do that, you would need that same kind of knowledge that comes from boundless curiosity. And and this is and I'm gonna and I'm probably gonna cut it off here. This is this is a this is becoming a problem now. It, especially in te I think in tech, and I know it seems like a rant, but bear with me here. You look at the you look at the Apple Vision Pro, and you look at the Oculus Quest. Both of those things are, as far as someone is willing to go to produce a product. What it what would but what does it look like when the goal isn't to produce a product when the goal is produce the magic of VR when the goal is to like make it as good as you can but not have to put a price tag on it not have to like encapsulate it in a kind of youthful capitalistic thing so much of the idea of social media and of technology is akin to the ideas of magic it is it will connect you it will make your life easier it will do something incredible but so much of the self-selecting kind of people who get put in charge of it is to make it useful to make it make money to make it protect people to make to to give the magic a purpose But sometimes it's okay if it doesn't have a purpose other than beauty, other than, you know, giving you something otherworldly. I'll give you a perfect example. And and often and in the real world, just as in this show, oftentimes the people or the groups of people who develop those things that just exist just for the sheer fun of it get some kind of like lofty place and are siloed away because that should be protected and like every so i'll give you a perfect example in, in vr everybody's like oh beat saber got bought oh you know they bought um whatever the fitness thing is like oh this that and the other thing but the big like lofty the big lofty goal the big we've created a second layer of reality that you can exist in it's VR chat. And you asked about anybody who's involved in VR about VR chat, and they'll probably say that thing's amazing. That thing's that thing's grasping at the goal. Simply to grasp at it, simply to get as close as it can to that reality. And even with like a, I have a quest too. Even with that, I can dive into VR chat and I can feel that dream for a couple minutes, for hours actually, at a time. And yeah, you can pay for it, but they don't, they don't make you. They'll offer you stuff to pay for it, but it's not. It's 
very clear that that's not the goal. The goal is like, well, we live in a, we live in a society and we have to pay a sal and we have to pay people salaries. So like, we create a five dollar month subscription. Have at it. But there's it's very clear. It is. It is the most like the old internet I think I've ever encountered. It is the most. This is just here for curiosity and play and social and being social. There's no, there's no, and, and this is what the best parts of things like Blue Sky and of Twitter and of all that stuff feel like. There's no incentive to sell you something. There's no incentive for you to be a product in, in moments in like Blue Sky when you're just having a conversation and going back and forth with people. That stuff is clearly going to come for everybody because it always does because somebody always had dollar signs in their eyes. But oftentimes buried in those things is are people who just, they want to make a thing. And they like, and they're constantly having to kind of deal with the system that lets them, you know, pursue whatever their craft is. And that's what, Freyren's kind of doing in the mage in the mage exam arc is she's just kind of dealing with she's dealing with a system that like she quite frankly does not care about she like could she could care the only reason she needs a first class mage license and she doesn't even really need one either she or Fern needs one is so that they can go to heaven and she can talk to Himmel. Her goal is not the big, beautiful, you know, meeting the head of the magic world and getting one spell that you've, that you've always dreamed of. Her goal is just to go see a friend. And there's another character, I forget his name, there's a, um, there's a, there's an antagonist, there's a, not an antagonist, a, a like, one of somebody on the other team, when somebody's like, like, what could you possibly want? He's like, motherfucker, my hometown is in the danger zone. Like, I can't go home, motherfucker. And they show you those. They hold those characters next to each other, and they say, like, these, these two have a lot of similarities. And they show you that, like. People will get to where Freyrand is. It will just take them a while. But what Freyrand has is so singular and so lonely and so different that what she's doing is her best to process it. On that note, um, we're right at about an hour, so I'm going to um, cut it off here. I hope you like the episode. New episodes come out right now every Thursday. Um, they're always like this, they're always about a show or property. I try to be a little bit more focused when I can, but, um, if you, and also if you like the episode, make sure you share it with friends, leave a good review, a five-star review, wherever reviews are accepted. Um, it really helps the show, but until next time, I've been Alex, this has been Lunchbox Radio, and I'll talk to you next Thursday. <laughs>